Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. It's a great day to get together to explore and discover what God has for each of us in these next few moments. He's always doing something new, drawing us closer, deepening our spiritual roots, and making us a little more like Jesus. Even when His work is behind the scenes and we don't get to see instant results, we can trust that He is at work and His work is always good. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. We're in the business of helping people figure out what it looks like to become more like Jesus in their lives. We love to help people figure out the next step on their spiritual journey. Since you are people, that means you. We're praying for you. If you're visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that we are a come-as-you-are kind of church. We're a church of good old regular people people trying to clean up their messy lives one step in the right direction at a time. Which means that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, this is a good place to be in process, figuring it out. We haven't arrived yet, so we can be good company on the journey. Even if you aren't sure the Christian life is a journey you want to be on, this is a good place to ask questions as you look for answers. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Now, let's join our service. Taylor, hey, it's me, Trevor. I'm outside the concert, wondering where you're at. I think I'm in the right spot, and I think it's already started, and I was... Hello? Hello? Can't get on the phone right now, but maybe I just don't want to. <laughs> just kidding, leave a message. Hey, your voicemail cut me off. So what I was saying was I'm outside. Can't get on the phone right now. Maybe I just don't want to. <laughs> just give me a message. Okay, I'll talk faster for whatever reason. Can't get on the phone right now. But maybe I just don't want to. <laughs> just give me a message. Funniest thing, you keep cutting me off. Can't get on the phone right now. Hey, I'll talk really, really fast because for whatever reason, your little voicemail message thingy keeps cutting me off. Maybe it's because you have a cheap phone. Yeah, I said it. Hey, look, look, I see the writing on the wall. I am here, you invited me, and I'm standing out here like some dork waiting for you, huh? I got stood up by a buddy. What is that about? This is so you. This is so high school all over again. You get some more important friends, and me, I'm left like some chump. You have bad breath. Has anyone in your life ever told you that? It stinks, and you will not have me, Mr. Trevor, to kick around anymore. Do you hear me? No more. Bro! Mailbox is full. Full of that. 
hey, I'm sorry I'm late. Uh, I tried to call you, but my phone's jacked up. Anyway, the reason I'm late is I ran into this guy who was selling his tickets. You're gonna love this, okay? Get this, box seats, all you can eat, food, the best seats in the house, and the best part, my treat. I mean, think about it. You're my best buddy, right? I mean, what better way to say thank you than these? Hang on, I was expecting a call. Let's take just take a minute. Oh, it's a message from you. And another one. And another one. I think there were a few too many guilty giggles in the room while that was playing. Uh, you know, there was a day in the capital C church world when dramas were a regular part of the service, setting up some theme for the sermon series or illustrating some point in the message. And what we just saw on video from the skit guys would have been done live here on the stage. And when Christmas came around, it wasn't uncommon to have churches staging elaborate Christmas productions, celebrating the birth of Jesus in some way. We used to be uh, one of those churches. For years, we staged major musical productions that took months to prepare. Uh, planning, auditioning, rehearsing, building sets, rehearsing, 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 until finally... The curtain went up, so to speak, and people were blessed by the labors of faithful servants who lived, ate, and breathed Christmas for months, getting ready for two or three nights of live shows. Unless there was some major meltdown in one of those live shows, they, they entertained, challenged, and blessed, and of, of course, the audience only saw the picture-perfect end to a very long journey. But behind the scenes... There was a ton of pressure on, especially the leaders who were juggling their paycheck jobs, their family life, a ton of work for the production, maybe a little behind the scenes drama, and uh, most of the time weekend services as well. Uh, you can probably imagine the emotional and physical toll of months of go, go, go. Exhaustion and high stress rarely bring out the best in people, even church people. Our drama director, Lori, was, well, she still is, but for this story was a fantastically creative friend who shouldered quite a burden with me each year. She would carry more of the burden for the production uh, than me, and I would carry more of the burden for the weekends. As we got closer uh, the, to the curtain going up, the more, the more tired we were, uh, the snarkier and snippier we became with each other. It was a stress reliever for both of us, and we were secure enough in our friendship that it, to understand what was going on. It was no big deal most of the time, unless other people were around. 
every now and then it would leak out when there were witnesses. And sometimes even those witnesses were caught in the crossfire, which wasn't okay. And after having to apologize and clean up the messes for a couple of years, we developed a code word. I got the idea from Meet the Parents, the movie with Ben Stiller and Robert De Niro. Uh, in the movie, Robert De Niro's wife whispers muskrat every time it looks like Robert is going to cross the line and say something he shouldn't. And it works most of the time. It certainly makes for an entertaining movie, though please don't take that as an endorsement of the movie. Well, Lori and I decided to try the idea. In fact, like the movie, we just used the word muskrat to warn each other when things were headed toward snark. Believe it or not, it worked. It instilled a little humor into a tense moment, and that ended up releasing the pressure, saving us from having yet another hard conversation with someone because we defended them with our snarkiness. Nobody likes hard conversations, right? Nobody likes hard conversations. Nobody likes being on either side of a hard conversation. So avoiding the need for a hard conversation saved us from having a lot of hard conversations. Well, welcome to week three in our series, Harnessing the Power of Words. Words matter. Words are powerful. They can give life and they can steal life. They can build up and they can tear down. They can encourage and they can discourage. And as we've already learned, how we use our tongue is one of the most visible signs of our Christian maturity. James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us that if we can control our tongue, it reveals the good work that God has already done in other parts of our lives. It reveals the state of our heart. Of course, the reverse is true. If we can't control our tongues, it reveals that we've got some heart-level work to do in our lives. Our words say more about what's going on inside of us than they do about anything else. For better or worse, our words give people a window to our soul. Last week, we learned from Jesus himself that tongue control also helps us from unintentionally hurting someone else by using careless words, which we need to care about because we take our cues from Jesus. After all, he left us with only one command, and that command guides everything we do as Christ followers. Well, it should, anyway. Uh, why don't we just read this out loud together from John chapter 13? These are the words of Jesus. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. So we take our cues from Jesus. We love each other the way he loves us, which means we talk to each other the way he would talk to us in any and every situation. We are always kind, never unkind. We build up, we don't tear down. We speak the truth in love with kindness, grace, and mercy. All of the time. All of the time, because that's what it means to follow Christ. We love like Jesus and we talk like Jesus. Easy peasy, right? Okay, well, it would be easier 
if we were better at communicating clearly and concisely. That would make life a lot easier. But here's the truth. Very few, if any, frankly, very few people are good at communicating. Nah, I'm just going to adjust that. No one is good at communicating. No one, except Jesus, of course. Let's get that one out of the way. None of us non-God-in-a-bod people are good at communication. Period. Do you know why? Do you want to know why? I can tell you why. This is worth the price of admission right here. If you get nothing else out of this message, take this to the bank. This applies to everyone. So even if you aren't a Christ follower, this applies to you, young or old, mature in your journey with Christ or not. Here's why. Even under the best of circumstances, you can control what you say. In fact, let's just assume the best for a moment. Let's just say that you have clearly thought through what you're going to say and can and do say it in the best possible way. You can control what you say. But you have zero control over what someone else hears. Zero. And since it takes at least two people for communication to happen, no one is great at communication. And if we're honest, we rarely have conversations under the best of circumstances anyway. So that makes it even harder. Uh, let's, let's just think about it this way. I am a broken person. I speak out of my brokenness. I have and make assumptions about you, about me, about the subject of our communication. I bring my life experience to every conversation. I have a set of filters that help me see and experience life through a unique lens. I have biases, often unknown even to me, that color the way I see the world through that lens. And I have unresolved pain that feeds all of those assumptions, filters, and biases. Then I open my mouth to communicate with you. You who are also broken, you with your own set of assumptions, your own life experience, your own filters, your own biases, and you hear me through your unresolved pain. We forget that all of my junk is different than all of your junk. All things are not equal. We are both broken, but our brokenness is different. We have different assumptions, different life experience, different filters, different biases, different pain. Let's add to that that we are all at different places on our spiritual journey and God doesn't do cookie-cutter Christianity. While we're all headed toward the same target of thinking like, believing like, and acting like Jesus, our paths are different. So he's already redeemed some stuff in me that he hasn't even gotten to yet in you. And he's already redeemed stuff in you that I'm surprised he hasn't given up on in me yet. If you're married, you see this all the time in your husband or wife. Uh, Didi and I are going on 30 years together. We have a great marriage, but we still experience life differently. We don't see anything exactly the same way. Things that bug me don't bug her. Things that bug her, I don't even notice. Men experience the world differently than women, and that's okay. In fact, it makes us better together. We have a more well-rounded view of things but we will always see the world differently. So you can control what you say, but you have zero control over what someone else hears. 
Now, let's add another level to this. Statistically, people only listen to 50% of what you say anyway. Most of the time, we are not fully engaged in the conversation. If we are listening, we are listening to respond, not listening to understand. And there is a huge difference between the two. Leading us back to no one, no one is good at communication. In every conversation, there is you and there is me. And in between us is a gap. And in most of the day-to-day -day humdrum of life, we don't even notice the gap. It just is. It always is. It's never not there. But when it's small, we can easily just jump across it. The problem is, it's not always small, is it? When the gap is small, it's easy to fill with good stuff. Love, understanding, patience. It doesn't take much to fill a small gap. And when the gap is small and filled with good stuff, it's easy to just walk across the gap. The problem is that gap doesn't naturally stay small. The, the first time your man forgot to take out the garbage and you had to do it, there's enough love to bridge the gap. But the 47th time your man forgets to take out the garbage, that's a whole nother story. Here's the deal. The gap will be filled with something. And the wider it gets, the less good stuff there is to fill it in, which only leaves the bad stuff. The wider the gap, the more crap we dump into it. At once love and patience and understanding run out, we're left with judgment, frustration, hurt, anger, hate, pain, and condemnation. And let me just add that the devil loves to stir up the junk in our gaps. Nobody wants to wade into that mess to build a bridge. And eventually, a small gap becomes an ocean of stuff between us, and we end up with a broken relationship. And we either walk away, get stuck living in dysfunction junction, or are forced into one of those hard conversations that we all want to avoid. Nobody likes hard conversations. So wouldn't it, wouldn't it be better to just never let the gap grow? Now, I have a deeply held value regarding gaps. I have summed up this value in a short pithy statement that is easy to remember and helps chart my course when it comes to gaps. Always move toward relationship. Just say that with me. Always move toward relationship. Do everything you can to keep the gap small. Do everything you can to close the gap. Left to its own devices, the gap will always just get bigger and bigger. And the bigger the gap, the more junk that fills it in, making it even harder to shrink the gap. Years ago, in my early days here at Dayspring, there was a group of older saints uh, who, they, who gathered in the lobby after the service and complained to each other about the music. If I happened to be nearby, they might grab me and complain to my face, but most of the time, they just gave me angry looks. Several of them were just flat out rude to me most of the time. I knew there was nothing I could do to change their minds. I knew that I would never make them happy. So at the end of the service, when I went out to the lobby, what do you think I did? Well, as most people naturally would, at first, I avoided them. 
I just veered around them and ignored them. I had lots of friends. Who needed them anyway? And the gap grew. But I didn't really like what was going on inside of me when that happened. And then that value kicked in, always moved toward relationship. So the next week, I just went up and I joined their circle. And I smiled at them, hugged them, asked them about their week, let them complain to me, loved them some more, and then did the same thing the next week and the next. And something changed after a while. Oh, they still complained loudly, but their bite went away. And they started to smile and hug me back. And about six weeks later, I passed one of the vocal, the more vocal ones in the hall. And she said, Chris, I hate your music, but I love you. So always move toward relationship proactively. Do everything you can to close the gap. Gaps that never get big never require hard conversations to close. This is conversation, hard conversation insurance. So I do everything I can to keep gaps small. But because here's another thing that happens when you have big gaps. Those big gaps begin to ooze into other gaps that you have with other people. That junk has to go somewhere. So it overflows into other relationships and it overflows into my relationship with Jesus. I'm pretty protective of that. If the way I love others is a reflection of the way I love Jesus and vice versa, then my gap with you can't help but impact my gap with Jesus, which is all on my side, of course. He died to close the gap. I'm the one who lets junk get in the way. Next week, we're going to talk about how to have hard conversations after the gap has gotten too big to ignore, which could happen after a single conversation or after lots of broken converse, uh, communication over time. But for the rest of today, let's consider how we can proactively keep the gap as small as possible so we hopefully never have to have those hard conversations. I say hopefully because you can control what you put in the gap. In fact, only you can't control what you put in the gap. But you can't control what the other person puts in the gap. But I'd, I'd venture to say that you proactively working on the gap will also help them do the same. When it comes to what the Bible says about navigating gaps, nobody has found the lost book of argumentations. So we have to piece together principles from other parts of the New Testament to guide our understanding. We've already talked about the first principle. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. That is always our overarching principle. What does love require of me in this moment? The Apostle Peter unpacked that a little further in 1 Peter chapter 4. There he writes, The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue. So be earnest in your prayers, but even more important than that, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. 
Now, let me tell you what that means. In the original language, the word for sins can mean sins, but it can also mean to be mistaken, to miss the mark. None of us is perfect. We all make mistakes. We all miss the mark. Even with our best efforts, we forget to take out the garbage. We are late for that appointment. We, we are all different from each other. So often, even what one person sees as a mistake might not be a mistake from the other side. We see and experience the world in different ways. A clean house to you probably looks different than a clean house for me. When I was in college, I went, to, I went with a friend to her parents' house to, uh, so she could check the mail and check the house while they were gone. I started to walk into the living room to look around, and she threw her arm out and stopped me. And she pointed at the vacuum lines on the carpet and said that her mom would be mad if they were messed up. There are lots of things that are personal preferences, and you can't expect everyone to have the same personal preferences that you do. Love covers a multitude of personal preference differences. Love covers the gap when it comes to mistakes and preferences, until it can't. Love also doesn't excuse bad behavior, and love doesn't use this verse to avoid having an uncomfortable or hard conversation. If someone's actions keep you from moving toward relationship, then love no, no longer covers that sin. Uh, the first time someone is late, love overlooks that. The 20th time they leave you hanging and you feel unimportant or unappreciated, and you're tempted to throw those two uns into the gap, it's time to have a conversation. I know many people who use this verse as a hard conversation avoider. Oh, you know, love covers a multitude of sins, so I just forgave them. Yeah, but you're still in bondage to whatever happened that needed forgiving, so you just stop trying to have a relationship. That's not what love does. That's not love. The parameters of the relationship might still need to change, but not without a conversation to close the gap. And for the record, of course there are extremes in relationships. Abuse and toxic people are their own category. In those cases, the parameters of the relationship should change. But you still need to deal with your junk, even if you can't deal with it with them. And let's be honest, that isn't most of our relationships, so don't let the exception break the rule. The Apostle Paul also spoke to this. He put it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, and he adds a call for unity. He says, always, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. The apostle John records that in the last prayer of Jesus with his disciples, Jesus prayed for our unity. And in John 17, 23, he prays, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Now, we can all see the impact of gaps in our culture. There's a gap between Democrats and Republicans, a gap between the haves and the have-nots. We have racial gaps, ideology gaps, education gaps, 
Nothing good happens in those gaps. And clearly, there is no unity. Jesus wants his people to do things differently. Unity is attractive. Who wouldn't want it? We need to model unity. At the point that your gap threatens unity, it's time to do something about it. Back in Ephesians, Paul includes the ability to speak the truth in love when he says that our unity of faith and knowledge of Jesus will make us mature. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with, with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So here in verse 15, the ability to speak the truth in love is a sign of maturity. Lots of us like to speak the, the truth without love, but that doesn't count. Nor does speaking love and withholding truth. Love always requires truth or it isn't love. Now, I could go on, but the, there, there are lots of verses that, uh, that give us principles that unpack what love looks like in this situation or that situation, but these are a, a good foundation. Let me summarize it this way. Love requires that we proactively seek unity, recognizing that our differences at times make navigating relationships challenging, but they also help us to better reflect the whole of Jesus. And at the point that we are tempted to fill the gap with crap, love requires that we always move toward relationship by shrinking the gap. Catch that? When is it time to do something? as soon as you are tempted to put junk in the gap. My definition for junk is anything that doesn't honor God or the other person. Most of us don't do this. <laughs> we just let the junk collect. We let the gap grow because we hate confrontation. And then we get to the point where we finally have to fish or cut bait and we, we cut bait. We run because we hate hard conversations. So here's our hard conversation insurance. Here's what we're going to do. This will help keep us from ever having to have one of those hard conversations again. It's not foolproof, of course, because we can be foolish and we can't control what the other person hears, but this has worked pretty well for me. The key here is that all of this has to happen in real time. One of the things that makes hard conversations harder is that they always happen after the fact. When you're having a hard conversation about something that happened last week or last month, it's too easy for the other person to say, I didn't say that, or that's not what I meant. It's hard to rebut them after the fact, especially if they are emotionally unhealthy. And memory is a fragile thing. All of us think we have great memories, but we don't especially when you consider that we are only listening to half of what each other is saying. Uh, we do have great imaginations, and we can easily turn our rambling minds into memories that we really believe. So there is that. It's science. Don't hate me, hate the science. The, the best way to ensure that you don't have to have hard conversations is to do this in real 
time, as it happens, here are four things that we're going to learn to do. First, we're going to learn how to listen for understanding. Now, actually, you already know how to do this. You just don't. Listening for understanding means that you're probably going to turn your phone over so that you can't see the notifications coming in. You make eye contact. You physically lean in. That science proves that physically leaning in tells your brain that it's time to pay attention and focus. You're not going to be thinking about dinner or your to-do list or how you're going to respond. You're going to give them the gift of your mental presence in the moment. If the circumstances call for it, you might want to take notes so you don't forget. Explain that, by the way, so that they know what you're doing. But no doodling. The only other thing you might do is pray for wisdom, understanding, and focus. When they are done, when they're done talking, you, you might just tell them what you just heard them say. I had a mentor once who could make my ramblings and take them and make even me sound smart. You don't have to repeat everything back, just the key thoughts. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen someone talking apples and the other person is talking oranges, but neither one knows because they've just assumed they mean the same thing when they don't. So if you are really listening, it will also help you identify assumptions and biases and filters, etc., etc., etc. When you are the one talking, it is okay for you to ask for their attention. Hey, would you mind turning your phone over for a moment? It would really help me to know that you are hearing my heart. Or you can ask them if there's another time that you could talk. You do have some control over the parameters of the conversation. As you learn to listen for understanding, here's how you'll know that you've been successful. When you can understand their thought process on whatever subject you're discussing. How did they arrive at that understanding? You don't have to agree with them to understand their thought process. But understanding their thought process will make them feel heard, even when you disagree. And it will help you make a more productive response. Okay, so that's the first thing. Next up, we're not going to confront. The second thing we're going to learn to do is clarify. Confrontation is scary. Clarification is way easier. Uh, when you're in a conversation and the other person says something that could possibly widen the gap, here's what we're going to do. You're going to call for a timeout. The universal sign for a timeout is making a T with your hands. So just call a timeout. Literally, just, whoa, timeout. In fact, let's just all do this together. Uh, online, here in the room, all together. Here we go. Timeout. See, you can do this. Now, here's why I like physically doing this. It identifies a flag on the play in a non-confrontational manner. It's kind of funny, so it, it doesn't add to the tension. It just releases the tension. And as soon as you have their attention, you're going to ask for clarification. My favorite phrase is, 
Help me understand. Three simple words. Help me understand. Help me understand what you're trying to communicate because it feels like I'm missing something. Help me understand. You might even add why you're confused. Help me understand because it seems as if you are fill in the blank, making an assumption, hearing me incorrectly, calling for annihilation of the whole solar system. Like, whatever it is, your clarification can clarify even further if you want. Help me understand communicates humility. I don't get it. The problem might not be you, but me. So help me understand. No one will ever be upset because you asked them for clarification. Well, no one should ever be upset because you asked them for clarification. And if they are, then guess what? It's time for another one of these. <laughs> Only this time, the, the question changes. Time out. Help me understand why you're upset at me for asking for clarification. That's weird. Here's another way to do this, especially when it feels like they're insulting you. Time out. Are you trying to make me feel small? That will stop them and make them think about what they're saying. That's probably level two. You might want to just start with help me understand. I, I, I don't know about you, but as a general rule, I don't let people, I don't just let people complain about others to me. If you want someone to listen to you spout off, I'm not your guy. Don't think you can have a conversation with me that you should be having with that person. I'm not the person you get to vent to. So time out. Why are you having this conversation with me instead of him or her? Like, here's the beauty, by the way. People who like to vent don't come to me after I've said this a couple of times. They find another listening ear, and that's okay with me. As a pastor, I often get asked for advice about how to handle tricky conversations. If you want advice uh, about how to have a redemptive conversation, which falls into the hard conversation category, not the real-time conversation category, then I'm available. <laughs> Bottom line here is that we are going to clarify in real time. We're going to discipline ourselves to ask questions. Most people aren't trying to hurt your feelings. Most people aren't trying to put you down. They're not trying to make you feel small. They're just bad communicators. No, not everyone is good with words. Fewer are good with words under pressure. So asking for clarification actually helps them, and it shrinks the gap. And if they are actually trying to make you feel small, then at least you know. And you can deal with that in real time before it becomes a big, hairy monster that has to be a hard conversation. It's possible that they're simply responding to something they misunderstood about you. And if that's the case, aren't you glad you cleared that up before they ran your reputation through the mud? <laughs> so clarify. Real time. The third thing we're going to do is learn to watch body language. Depending on where you look for the statistic, body language makes up more than 90% of communication. Now think about that. What we say makes far less impact than what we do while we're saying it or listening to it. There are tons of good books on body language. I'm reading one right now, so if you're interested, just let me know. I'm sure we can recommend a good resource. 
I'm not an expert. There are far more cues than you can imagine. But here's the deal. Your brain already recognizes them even if it doesn't always understand what it's seeing. Your brain actually throws a flag on the play when it sees something weird. So pay attention to it. And if you want to get the nuances of it, study it on your own. But there is some basic body language that we can all look for. If you are the one speaking, you want to watch the impact of your words on the other person. If they seem to be tensing up or frowning or tearing up, you might want to ask them what's going on. I was in a meeting just last week where I did this. I just said, oh, time out. Your body language just totally changed. What's going on? If leaning in is a symptom of focus and engagement, leaning out is just the opposite. It means you've probably lost them. Someone crossing their arms is generally a sign that they're protecting themselves from something. So ask them what's making them feel that way. People closing in on themselves, not good. Ask them why. You have more successful conversations when there is an openness in their body language. Again, the goal is to nip those gaps in the bud. So any clue you have that you are causing a gap should be investigated in real time. If you are the listener, then watch the other person's body language. Their body language is also communicating something to you, not just their words. And it's okay to time out and ask them why. Just time out. It feels like you're really angry about this. Help me understand what's going on. So watch their body language and then go back to step number two. This is moving toward relationship, keeping the gap as small as possible. And it takes intentionality to do it. The devil doesn't need much room to get a foothold before he gets his whole self in there and makes things much worse. So don't give him a foothold. The fourth thing we're going to do is practice. Now, I know how this goes. You probably think calling, out, uh, calling a timeout is a great idea, or maybe a little corny. But the thought of it probably scares you as well. Remember, it's not confrontation, it's clarification. You probably don't have to think hard of someone that you need to try this with. And you probably already know the type of conversation that you should use it for. So rehearse it in your head. Run through the scenario. Run it like a fire drill. That way, when you're under fire and your mind just goes blank, you can just revert to your new habit. Time out. You can also rehearse these skills with someone safe in everyday conversation. Not just when tensions are up, but when you are in just a normal conversation and someone says something weird. That happens all the time. Time out. Help me understand what you mean. Practice, practice, practice. Because you don't want to get to the place where you have to have a hard conversation. But we're saving that topic for next week. You know, great communication isn't rocket science. Although, sometimes it seems more complex than rocket science. But in truth, it's actually pretty simple. 
These four steps are pretty simple, but they're so powerful, and no one, no one uses them. We're not taught how to have successful conversations, but these four things help us become bridge builders, and bridge builders represent Jesus really well. Bridge builders experience more peace in their relationships and in their hearts and minds, which seems like a really good reason to close the gaps in our lives. Always move toward relationship. That's what love requires. Let's pray. Father, may the words we speak Honor the God we love in any and every situation. May we never fall to the level of those around us, of the world that we live in, the culture that we're in. But may we always take a higher road. Always seeking to love like Jesus in any and every situation. We pray in his precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions alone or with others will help the truth of God's word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of people like you. People who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring. Your financial generosity is evidence of God's work in your life. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is a responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Also, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you are on, maybe even rating us where that is appropriate. It is really encouraging to me when you share something that has impacted you through this service with someone else. Until we meet again, may the God of all peace give you peace at all times and in every situation.